Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, it's been cited as one of the factors in the Liberal Party losing the Wentworth by-election. It's certainly an issue that stirred up a lot of strong feelings and perhaps unnecessarily. I'm talking about the leak from the as-yet-unreleased Ruddock inquiry into religious freedom. That leak, which we should bear in mind, was taken out of the context of the report as a whole and without any of the argument that led up to it, concerned uh, the situation of gay school students attending religious schools. You wouldn't be alone if you were confused as to why that suddenly became an issue. After all, no real change to the law was being proposed. In addition, you might not be completely across the detail of human rights and anti-discrimination law which over a long period of time has led to a really sensible arrangement in Australia about the right of religious churches and religious schools to teach their doctrine, to teach their moral uh, position on issues like same-sex marriage and other things. So let's take an in-depth look at that tonight on Open House with Mark Spencer. He's the Executive Officer for Policy and Government Relations at Christian Schools Australia. Mark, welcome back to Open House. Pleasure, Stephen. There's uh, about a month, just under a month, before the two Houses of Parliament sit again. Uh, The last week involved a real kerfuffle with meetings around this question. Has some of the urgency gone out of this for you, or is it it still a very urgent matter? Look, it's uh, always been a question of how urgent this was. I mean, this whole debate was framed about uh, a non-existent problem, uh, a wave, an epidemic of... Uh, students being expelled from Christian schools around the country, which which was never true. And that's been part of the problem from the start about the way that this debate's been framed. It's been framed as a matter of urgency to solve a crisis. Um, but really what we need is sensible, clear policy making in a complex area of law. Well, yes, and it's all consequential on this sort of rolling disaster of skittles falling over or dominoes that starts with rushing through the marriage legislation without actually looking at its consequences, a stitch-up then with the government saying, we'll put up a committee to look at that instead, then the government holding on to it, then a by-election being foisted upon them, then a leak about this, as you've said, issue that's not really an issue, that's never been an issue in reality, and now suddenly the rush to legislate. Um, now, those are all my sort of conclusions. What does Christian Schools Australia, what, what does the sector... Uh, think about the carriage of all of this? Uh, the point I made uh, in discussions earlier last week with uh, the, the Shadow Education Minister, Tanya Plibersek, and, and her staff was, you know, f- for us in the sector, we've just gone through a reform process. We've had Gonski. You know, we had Gonski 1, Gonski 2, Gonski 2.1, all building upon a consistent policy framework and a set of clear principles mm. that everyone agreed on. Mm. And we had good policy yes. out of that process. Yes. Um, compared to this highly politicised, uh, very emotional and uh, non-factual uh, argument that we've had over the last uh, couple of weeks, where you know I have to say I, I feel sorry for everyone involved in the, in the discussion, schools who have been slandered almost for the for doing things they don't do, and mm-hmm. and children and families in our school communities who are now starting to get worried about things that aren't never aren't ever going to happen that haven't been happening that they're now saying. You know, it's threatening them all the time. Well, I'm going to come back and we'll sort of work out where the legislation is up to and where you'd like it to end up in a moment. But let's just go back to the very simple propositions then. Do Christian schools want to exclude from their school students who are same-sex attracted? No. Is that a nice simple answer for you? (laughs) 
many have claimed that they have been excluded on that basis. And and uh, I've looked back, I've been involved in, in Christian schools for nearly 30 years now. I've looked back through uh, any sort of records I've had, and as far as I can tell, there have been three students I can identify where they've been uh, expelled by a school and have claimed that that's the basis. But when you talk to the schools, understand and get the details of what actually has been involved, they've been expelled for you know, the usual disciplinary uh, reasons, you know, misbehaviour and misconduct that, that causes them to be expelled from a school and would cause any student to be expelled from a school. Hmm. No, I mean, I have to obviously declare that uh, during part of your 30 years, I I worked with you for 15 years at Christian Schools Hmm. Australia, and we worked on a couple of those cases together, as I recall it. Um, Hmm. And I can attest to the fact that the the principals we would speak to in two occasions that I can recall, they were desperately sad because they said, our school has cared for this student. And right at the end, it becomes something almost silly like, they want what they want to wear to the formal, or who they want to take to the formal. That kind of question. Well, face, Facebook posts Facebook promoting posts. Their, 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 you know, their conduct outside school, or or arguing with uh, with staff and refusing to to just have a, a sensible discussion. Around. I mean, there are places within our schools where we can have sensible discussions and debates about these areas. But you know, there needs to be respectful. It needs to be sensible. It needs to be balanced. Now, if a student is same-sex attracted and is in a Christian school that's teaching the biblical doctrine uh, around sexuality and the way that that is taught in in, um, in most, uh, I guess, traditional Christian organisations will be God's design for sex is that it best occurs between men and women in the context of a marriage, a long-term committed relationship. Mm. Heterosexual sex outside of marriage doesn't fit those criteria. Neither does homosexual sexuality. Now, if you are a same-sex attracted student, then you must you would be hearing, I imagine, a sense of judgment um, if you are hearing that teaching. Uh, look, I, I hope you wouldn't be hearing a sense of judgment. You, you would undoubtedly be hearing a, uh, a, a teaching, a, a description of what we believe is God's best plan for, for your life that may not be consistent with you know, what you're feeling at the moment. But also bear in mind, we're talking about young people who are developing uh, their ideas, their identity. Their, you know, they can sometimes uh, think one thing one week and uh, another thing the next week. And I'm not saying it's all you know, just bumping around and there's no sense and solidity there, but th- these are emerging issues. We're talking about children who are developing their identity and developing who, who they are. And we're happy to engage with them through that process. That's what Christian schools do all the time, uh, and uh, as do other schools. You know, we're all about helping the broad uh, sort of style of education, which includes uh, socialisation, understanding who you are, the emotional aspects, spiritual aspects, all those sort of different dimensions. At the end of the day, though, there is going to be a, an in- inherent conflict, I suppose, isn't there, between what their community is saying are the norms based on a moral posture based mm. on a biblical teaching, so you know that's a that's a pretty high order thing, compared to what the student wants to do with their life, or it might, by the way, be an adult in the same community, and yeah. there are issues to do with teachers that we'll come to perhaps in a, in a few minutes. But there is an inherent conflict. Are we able to create a world in which conflict doesn't exist, or do how do you recognise that that conflict may cause um, emotional and other difficulties for people within that environment? It, and it undoubtedly does, and if you find that world where conflict doesn't exist, I'm, I'm happy to come along. That might probably ruin it for you. <laughs> um, it's, 
If we could have that perfect world, we would, mm. but we, we can't. There's, there's conflict in, in schools, there's conflict in life about a whole range of things. Some people disagree on football teams, for example, and that can get very passionate. Um, but what we need to try to do in a Christian school is, is acknowledge that conflict, try to support pastorally that, uh, that student, their family, uh, whoever it might be, and work, walk that journey with them. We acknowledge that there's different views on, on what God's best plan is for them, but that doesn't mean you, you hate them, doesn't mean that you, you treat them worse, and you sort of you know, need to make sure you're very careful about um, ensuring that they're not bullied or any of those other things, and that's, that's what we try to do in our schools. Yeah, because there's a higher order responsibility even, which is to recognise that everybody's made in God's image, that everybody mm-hmm. is worthy of respect, that everybody needs to be cared for and loved to the point of death, that is, Jesus died for everybody. So these are all higher order things, which if you were true to that, would mean that you couldn't allow bullying or anything to take place within a school environment. So then we come to the question of uh, discrimination. Is it discrimination to say to somebody, I don't agree with, or we teach a different type of morality from the one that you are drawn to? And, and that's the problem when the law gets involved, unfortunately. Um, the way look, I'll give you a little one, uh, one minute primer on discrimination law the mm-hmm. way it's usually crafted in Australia mm-hmm. is that discrimination is defined very broadly both when someone takes a direct action against someone because they have a particular attribute but even when there's a general policy of you know, consistent application across everyone that might disproportionately affect um, you know, people with a particular protected attribute um, so discrimination is defined very broadly then you've got the scope of where that, uh, where that law applies. And then in almost all uh, anti-discrimination legislation around the country, you've got a, a series of exemptions that are there to, or exceptions to, to actually make the law workable. So I was just looking this afternoon at the ACT legislation, for example. Um, there's proposed changes uh, down here in, in the ACT. Uh, yeah. there's, uh, there's more than 50 exemptions, there's more than 50 sections dealing with exemptions in the ACT Anti-Discrimination Act. Some are practical and pragmatic, you know, and, and very non-controversial. You, know, you can work uh, in the office of a uh, MP. You can be an MP's staffer, MP's advisor, and you're required to share the the political views of that particular pay, that particular MP. Yeah. So the way that works is, it is a discrimination to uh, refuse to employ somebody on the basis of their political affiliation. That's discrimination. Next yes. part of the act, or a different part of the act, says, however. It's not discrimination if the employment relates to a political party or political activity. In that case, you are allowed effectively to discriminate on the basis or make a positive discrimination to say that, yeah, if you're working for a Liberal MP, it's OK to ask that you're not a Labor member. Yeah, not just a political party, but also uh, staffers, ministerial staff. Yeah, political staffers, office, ministerial staff, yes, yes. Which, which are, you know, paid public servants, effectively. Mm-hmm. Now, other other uh, exemptions um, are around uh, fit-for-purpose type tests, aren't they? Like uh, a, a range of fit-for-purpose type tests, sporting areas where, you know, uh, competitive sport where you know, the, the differences between the sexes can be a, a factor. And uh, another a group of them are around areas where there are other rights that may, you know, clash uh, against uh, anti, uh, anti-discrimination rights. So when you try and balance, as international law does, for example, the right of, of religious freedom, the right of people of faith to hold and, and manifest their beliefs with the, the right that's uh, uh, in the legislation around equality. So try and balance those two rights. There's another 
form of exemption that's covered in a range of areas. Mm. Mark Spencer is with us. He's the Executive Officer for Policy and Government Relations at Christian Schools Australia, a national organisation uh, representing Christian schools and speaking uh, as an advocate for the Christian schools movement generally. And Mark's been involved in discussions just in this last week with the Prime Minister, the Opposition Leader and Ministerial representatives on, on their teams um, around this whole issue of anti discrimination exemptions and exceptions. Well, when it comes to discrimination law and religious bodies, the law currently does allow, doesn't it, that in a church it's okay to require that a person is a practising member of that religion, whether it be Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever it might happen to be. Depends on how you define church, but yes, broadly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the church is a very complex uh, organisation and covers well, a whole range of like religious institutions. It uses yeah. words like religious institution, the various acts mm. around the country, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And in and many often, of those cases, they say schools as well. They include that. A school that is, uh, what's the phrase that's often used, um, established for the purposes of uh, propagating a certain religion, something along those lines. Yeah, so or conducted in accordance with the tenets and beliefs of a particular religion. There's a various form of words around that. Right, so the law has for a long time recognised that some schools are established by religions, and this goes back, by the way, to pre-public education day when, when the, only, <laughs> the only schooling was conducted by churches, and then you had a separation of the church role uh, in schooling and the state role in schooling, and state schools were set up deliberately to be secular, non-sectarian so that they weren't they would take both and back in the day it was anglicans and catholics the the idea that a school will be established for religious purposes is not new and there is something in the separation of church and state idea isn't there that protects the school or church from being forced to do things that are contrary to their conscience or employ people who don't who can't um, conform to the beliefs and tenets of that religion. Yeah, the, the, yeah, in terms of a church separation of church-state principle, that's one factor. Uh, there's also the principles in international law which are very well established around uh, the ability of people to actually, um, in community with others, manifest their beliefs, including training up their, their children in accordance with their faith and beliefs. And these are, these are um, rights that are very well established in international law um, they're really at the foundation of international law. Um, a number of years ago, now a few decades ago, now when uh, the High Court considered a case around uh, religion in Australia, uh, the High Court, in, in the judgment, the acting Chief Judges, Justice and another Justice talked about uh, freedom of religion really being the essence of a free society. It's the freedom of thought, conscience, belief, religion that every other freedom is built upon. Well, now, Mark, so here's where these ideas kind of collide, or at least in in the minds of popular culture they collide. I, I, I know it's not actually a collision. What you'll say, it's a balancing. So is your right to teach against my lifestyle going to override my right to actually live that lifestyle? Um, or if I'm a teacher, does your right to say, hang on a minute, if you're living um, in a homosexual relationship that precludes you from being able to model the teachings of this church, which are for heterosexual relationships as God's best plan. And that's where uh, that those issues are obviously identified and recognised in international law, and the way it's dealt with there is that there is a balancing of rights. Uh, now, the way that you 
generally tend to do that in international law is you, you look at uh, you apply what's known as a proportionality test. You look at the impact upon one person with one set of rights and the impact on another person or a group of people with another set of rights, and and try to do a balance and see how you can you can best accommodate those varying rights in a way that provides the best outcome for all involved. Is that always possible? Clearly not. Obviously, at an individual level. Well, that's sorry, no one no, you can't have a situation where everybody wins. wins. Everybody what wins everything, trying? yeah. <laughs> yeah, what you're trying to do is, 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 is provide a situation where uh, there is the least damage possible, if you want to put it that way, or mm. you know, there is some sense of you know, a, a judging right. So let's just talk about a, a teacher, for example. There's a, uh, uh, in the media in the last week, there's been a situation repeated through this debate around a, a teacher in Western Australia who um, was no longer employed in, in a Christian school. Um, they went out and got a job in a state school. Um, when you look at the impact upon them of uh, their rights being in conflict with the, with the school's uh, religious freedom, the harm they suffered, if you want to look at it, obviously it's not a situation you'd want. It's a, there's dislocation. I'm not trying to minimise that, but fundamentally they went out and got a job somewhere else. Um, for our faith communities, if you don't allow us to, to choose our staff based on, based on our faith and, and beliefs, and you fundamentally alter the, the, the whole nature of that community. Well, Mark Spencer is with us from Christian Schools Australia. That's a really good example. You're saying that if the school isn't able to choose staff who will be able to teach and model the religion, then it won't be a Christian school. Um, so that's a detriment to all those who seek a Christian education for their kids, that being an international right, as you've established. If a teacher is not able to access employment in that place, they do have an opportunity to go to another school. But if there is no Christian schooling, then parents who want that right for their kids, they they will never be able to um, access that freedom, which is theirs. But you need to then explain the nexus, I think, between uh, why it is that all teachers at a Christian school have to be Christian. After all, not all religions have that. There are religions who say a specialist comes into the school to teach religion and the rest is just, you know, the secular curriculum. Yeah. You would not walk into a classroom, any classroom in Australia, and have that teacher say, all I'm doing is delivering the curriculum. You might as well just give them kids a textbook because that's what you're trying to do. Yes. And that doesn't happen anywhere. No. It, uh, school, get in the school classroom, see the rich learning environment that is, see the relationships that are involved there, the community, the interactions, the formal, the informal, all those different aspects have actually been a group of people journeying through life together and growing up together, sharing that life. Kids coming in, you know, who might have had... You know, a, a, a bad morning uh, that morning at home and come in and share that with a, with a staff member. Um, kids who are trying to work out, you know, who they are. They've just read something on the internet. They've logged on to Facebook and, and been confronted with 75 options for, for their gender. And what do I do about that? And, you know, these, these are real conversations in classrooms. And teachers have to be able to respond to those things there and then. No, based out of a genuine faith and belief that, that's consistent with that of the school. Well, one way of putting what you're saying is to say that all of the staff are involved in the pastoral care of kids in a Christian school. That's a requirement of the job. And uh, that pastoral care takes place within the context of a Christian worldview informed by biblical theology. And some people find that a, a threatening phrase, by the way. They say, oh, that's evidence that you're going to discriminate. No, it's evidence that a Christian school community is, is a lot like a church. 
because it's part and, of the church. Yeah, it is part of the church, part of the, part of the Protestant um, stream of, of Christendom where, you know, that notion of the ministry of all believers. Hmm. It's it's not as if we, we say to students with one of those questions when they come in in the morning, hang on, we'll just wait till, till the priest comes in for chapel later on. Hmm. Everyone's answering those questions. Mark Spencer is with us from Christian Schools Australia. We're going in some depth tonight into this whole issue of religion and schooling, partly because there are very few others. In fact, I don't think there are any others that are doing this. This debate has been so shallow and it's been extremely frustrating to watch. And, Mark, I can't imagine what it's like to be in the middle of that. But when you meet with our politicians who are going to make these decisions, you're actually meeting with people who don't necessarily share that view or that understanding because they may have gone to a school where, yes, religion was delivered by the priest or the rabbi or whoever came in at 9 o'clock on, you know, Friday. Um, not all schools are constructed in that way. Have you found it difficult to help them to understand? It, it's certainly uh, uh, part of the challenge for us is to, to help people understand the nature of our schools and you know, we we try to engage as far as as much as we can with with MPs, invite them into our schools, and see the the great things that are happening in Christian schools around the country. So they they get that sense of a understanding of who we are and and what we're about. And there is, a, I have to say, there is a bit of a lack of uh, religious literacy in in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think the, the church we need to be more outgoing in in explaining who we are and what we believe, how it works for us. And we've got a great message. We've got the best message. We need to be, be sharing that message around. Gosh, wouldn't it be good if we were able to talk about something other than this one day? I met with two <laughs> young women during the week. They, um, you know, they're, they're professional women. They're working in the human rights field in various ways. They're involved in international development. They're bringing relief to people globally from everything from, you know, trafficking through to hunger. They went to Christian schools. This is where they developed their ethos their ethic of life they are believers they picked up this desire to serve others because they were at christian schools and involved in their christian church and supported by christian parents that's the kind of citizen that christian schools are turning out and look other schools are turning out great citizens as well no one's saying otherwise but as an expression of the christian faith you can't muzzle that ox surely no, that, that is one of the frustrations, and I've been talking to a number of principals who have been uh, saying exactly that. I was talking to one principal who was sharing about you know, the needed he needed to get alongside some of his staff who were quite depressed and frustrated and and, and really finding this whole debate really debilitating. And, and um, you know, it doesn't reflect the nature of, of Christian schools. Well, the debate has been fractious, and um, let's come to the politics and where it might end up. Let's take it in two parts. Students, part A. Teachers, part B. Start with students. Pretty much everyone says, and you've told us tonight, we don't seek to discriminate against students on the basis of their sexuality. The the government wants to make that clear in the legislation. So there's an attempt to write an amendment that would bring that about, just to make it clear that schools won't discriminate on the basis of a student's sexuality alone. But there's a nuance to that that is lost in some of the reporting of it, um, which you think goes to the issue of whether schools will even be able to teach a biblical view of sexuality. Yes, and that's the the unfortunate complexities of the law and the way it's drafted. So, um, as I said earlier, it's drafted very broadly, and then you've got these exemptions to make it work. And uh, one of the exemptions, and the exemption that's in focus here, 
in the Sex Discrimination Act um, covers sex, sexual orientation, gender, and a range of, of, of rights. And that, that's in relation to the provision of education. And the provision of education is very broadly defined. It's not just about expelling kids. It's about the, the basis on which you, you engage them. And then a, a very broad catch-all. Um, make sure you, you, you can't discriminate or take any action that's, uh, that creates any other detriment for a student on the basis of those attributes. Now, any other detriment is a very broad term. So um, that, that's, uh, that, that's our concern, is how that's going to be interpreted. All right, if so you saying that you, don't, you won't be expelling kids on the basis of their sexuality is one no. thing, and we've dealt with that. But the other, if you teach um, the biblical view of sexuality, will that cause a detriment to a student who is same-sex attracted? And that detriment, as we've read many times, may include that they feel that they're being bullied or they feel that they are unsupported. Yeah. That's a detriment, uh, presumably. Well, certainly through, through the, the course of the discussions over the last couple of weeks, I've been on radio interviews where um, people representing those, those families and communities are, have been saying even having a discussion around this has been harmful mm. uh, to those students. So you know, taking that logic, you quite easily argue that if you're in a school where yeah, a, a divergent view has been taught about what is God's best plan for you, that, that may be harmful to them. Now, there's a solution that the government is proposing, as we understand it, that um, might make it clear that the ability of a religion to teach its doctrine um, is something the courts need to take in mind when they're working out whether there was a detriment or not. That would be similar to other provisions in that act. But they used to say in politics, Mark, once you start explaining, you've lost the argument. Um, but anyway, so how's that likely to work out? The press was pretty critical of it last Friday. Now, what's been reported is that the government's trying to remove the exemption, but then put in another right that, that allows us to do whatever we want, which is just simply not true. The, the, uh, the proposed amendments that have been leaked in the, in the media, all they do is make add another matter that courts have to consider when they're deciding whether a policy of general application constitutes indirect discrimination on the basis of whether it's reasonable or not. So when the courts look at what's reasonable, there's currently uh, three factors they have to look at. All this would do would be to add in a fourth factor to actually acknowledge the context in which this is done in a religious body with a set of religious beliefs. All those amendments do is say, make sure courts, when you're looking at whether this is reasonable, you think about where it's happening. So, in fact, it doesn't, uh, as the critics have said, allow schools to discriminate. It gives courts some direction as to what they need to take into account in deciding whether it was reasonable. Mark yeah. Spencer is with us from Christian Schools Australia. Uh, we'll come to the issue then of teachers. Now, between now and when the Parliament sits again, or at least both houses sit, the 28th, the Labor Party is still, aren't they, are they not, threatening to amend the long-standing provisions that allowed for allowed faith-based schools to choose teachers on the basis of their faith? Um, no, I don't think either of the, the major parties have really firmed up their positions on this from, from what we can tell. There's obviously been lots of talk back and forth in the media. Certainly I mean with the opposition leader uh, just uh, yesterday, uh, he reaffirmed the commitment of the, the opposition to uh, parental choice, the ability to have schools that reflect their faith and beliefs how that works out and how that may impact upon employment of staff, yet to see. And I think uh, the staffing issue is probably a fair way down the track. We've still got lots of complexities around the student issue before we get to that. Um, our hope, I suppose, is that 
through that, that process, we'll actually get to see the expert panel's um, consideration of these issues, not just their recommendations, yes. and, and you know, have an informed uh, discussion around this that's actually based on experts looking at all the more than 15,500 submissions, how they've weighed them up, how they've considered these, these issues, and come up with the recommendations that they come up with. It was pretty rude of a government to uh, call for an expert panel and then not release their findings and then go ahead with, with legislation not allowing people to uh, even think about it. So when you met with the Prime Minister, did he give you any assurances that there'd be a public consultation process? Look, I think uh, it's fair to say that the Prime Minister is sensitive to the, the needs of, of Christian schools and, and faith communities in this area. Um, as a parent of, of children in a, in a Christian school... Hmm. Um, he's uh, obviously got a, a, a very direct connection to them and understands some well, of the He does get the it. There's no doubt. He gets it. Yeah. But, you know, he's got a, he's got a party room around him that <laughs> has, its, has its issues. I think Don Howard described the Liberal Party as a broad church, <laughs> yeah, didn't he? That's, broad that's probably church, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. were there any guarantees around consultation? There, there were certainly, from both parties, I have to be, be fair, yeah. uh, commitments to, to continue to discuss this, to continue to consider it in a, in a sensible, reasonable and balanced manner. Now we've got past the, the, the by-election, got past this uh, couple of sitting weeks, and we've got a bit of space to, to really do this properly rather than do this uh, quickly. How could this have been done better? Uh, let me count the ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, if we could turn back the clock, uh, I think we, we probably would have been having this discussion in the context of how yeah. we're going to amend the, the, the Marriage right. Act uh, uh, last year. That's when it was first raised. There was a, yeah. a comprehensive bill done based on work done by uh, a parliamentary committee that, that David Fawcett um, uh, chaired, mm. Senator Fawcett mm. chaired, that made some recommendations for areas to, to consider, and there was a, uh, a bill proposed, or actually didn't get introduced by Senator Patterson, that, that really not only provide for, for uh, another definition of marriage, same-sex marriage, but also to, to cover these important religious freedoms that at the time both the Prime Minister of the day and the opposition leader were saying were you know, fundamental rights and they're the highest level of protection. So, um, again, I think uh, haste uh, trumped good policy in, in that period of time and um, hopefully it's not going to happen again. And just finally then, Mark, how significant is this argument over the right to employ staff for the Christian school movement? Uh, it's fundamental. It, it, it's a, it is the heart of who we are. Education is a people business. We're about educating kids and we need staff who can do that in accordance with our faith and beliefs. Um, that, that's as simple as it gets. Um, hmm. Everything else is just window dressing. It's about the people we have in our in our schools who are teaching the students. Hmm. Well, I wonder whether this is the line in the sand. I mean, Christian schools have been pretty accommodating, and look, everyone is generally pretty accommodating in the public policy world. But it seems to me it's quite wrong for a state to put a, a faith community into a position where they cannot cannot a, a agree uh, to accommodate. Look, I'd almost go, go further and say that uh, it's completely un-Australian for um, any government to force their beliefs on, on, on the Australian public in, in this way and, mm. and stop people thinking and believing and acting in accordance with those beliefs. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, you know, we're about the fair go and about live and let live. I think it's 
fairly clear Australian values, and this is just a reflection of that. Mm. Well, Mark Spencer, thank you for giving us so much of your time and for the very careful way you've explained that tonight. No problem. Thanks, Stephen. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.